This episode could be triggering for sensitive listeners and contains mature content. It may not be suitable to all listeners. Should you need any emotional assistance, please see the show notes for telephone numbers that you can call. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are my own and do not reflect the official policy or position of the podcast. Any content provided by contributors such as the host, guests, bloggers, sponsors or authors are of their opinion and are not intended to malign any religion, group, club, organization, company, individual or anyone or anything. On ksb.org.za it states, The founder and director of Kwasi Sabantu Mission, Rev. Erlo Stegen, has worked tirelessly for over six decades to spread the gospel. Apart from ministering at the mission station, Rev. Stegen and his co-workers have traveled extensively, reaching every continent in response to invitations. Rev. Stegen preaches fluently in four languages, Isizulu, English, German, and Afrikaans, and he has preached in the following countries, Australia, Belgium, Brazil, Democratic Republic of Congo, England, France, Germany, Haiti, Hungary, India, Korea, the Netherlands, the Philippines, Romania, Russia, Rwanda or Burundi, Senegal, Switzerland, Tanzania, USA, Uzbekistan, and including all countries on Southern Africa. He has addressed ministers' conferences in Europe, Central and East Africa, and the Baltic states. His work has been acknowledged by various organizations. In December 2007, he was the co-recipient of the Robert W. Pierce Award for Christian Service, awarded by World Vision International. The award was, quote, in recognition of Stegen's outstanding work over the past 55 years, said Stanley Mlay, the Vice President, World Vision, Africa. In 2013, Rev. Stegen was awarded the Chancellor's Medal by the Northwest University, NWU, for his, quote, humanitarian work among poor and rural communities. This is Decoding Cults, and I'm your host, Paul Z. You are listening to the Kwasi Sabantu Mission, Part 5. In this episode, we will look into what happened when the story broke, and the investigations that followed. All of the information that I've used for this episode come from news sources, mostly News24. I also used the KSB Alert website, which has articles and first-hand accounts of people who were at or associated with the mission. The book... Mission of Malice, My Exodus from Kwasi Sabantu by Erika Boardman, and the book Is This a Genuine Revival? A Missiological Investigation About the Revival Among the Zulus by Albert Pylon, and I use the KSB website. On the 19th of September 2020, News24 released a special project called Exodus, 
Uncovering a Cult in KwaZulu-Natal. This included a documentary, various news articles, and a four-part podcast. The landing page of this report starts off with, quote, A 50-year-old Christian mission in KwaZulu-Natal stands accused of gross violations of human rights, turning a blind eye to sexual abuse and money laundering spanning four decades. Numerous survivors, both locally and internationally, came forward bravely, explaining their experiences at the mission. To many, it was hard to reconcile the man, whose description I read to you earlier, with what was being exposed in the media. After all, the mission had done so much good within their surrounding communities. They employ over a thousand people, they provide meals to those who are hungry, and as recently as October this year, they even banded together to clean up their community. Morstel was shocked, and wondered why no one had spoken out about it until that time. Well, actually they had. From the late 1990s, there have been some articles, but they were few and far between, and they were never taken any further. There was even an article in Die Bild in 2019, which is an Afrikaans newspaper, called Die Kerk, Die Hal, in die Vliegtuie vol Geld, which translates to The Church, The Hal, and The Aeroplanes Full of Money. There may be a few reasons for this. First of all, here in South Africa, a cult is something that happens overseas, like the People's Temple or the Manson family. It is just not as widely publicized as it is overseas. Secondly, we basically only really hear about these groups when they commit crimes. So, as long as these destructive groups remain within the parameters of the law, we probably won't give them much attention. To me, destructive does not necessarily mean that they destroy things or commit crimes, rather that they take advantage of the people spiritually, financially, and at times physically. Lastly, All beliefs and religions are protected under the Bill of Rights, and rightly so. I think that everyone should be able to believe what they would like to believe, as long as they don't harm anyone or anything around them. Where I feel the line needs to be drawn is when a spiritual leader or leaders take advantage of their position and twist their message to suit their own needs to the detriment of their followers. But this is just my opinion. In the year 2000, a panel of Christian leaders was established to look into allegations after other Christian leaders in South Africa and overseas had expressed their concern over the teachings at the mission, and the Femina article came out which was written by Erika Bornman, under the pen name Erika Ubar. The panel met with numerous ex-members over three days, 24 March, 23 April and 23 June in Pietermaritzburg. The panel reached out to KSB to address the issues and to gain their perspective. But the leaders at the mission declined their offer, stating, quote, The panel was being used by dissidents and enemies of KSB mission. The panel reached out a couple of times to try and set up a date. The mission kept refusing. They did, however, keep extending an invitation to the members of the panel to visit the mission in their personal capacity. They concluded their findings on 23 June 2000, part of which states, quote, 
The overwhelming evidence leads us to believe that Kwasi-Zabantu is in danger of developing cult-like behaviors. In seeing itself as an exclusive way, in seeking control over people by misusing authority, and manipulating people through confession and other questionable practices, which has created an environment of unquestioning submission to the KSB leadership. They go on to state that they know that they are dedicated Christians at the mission and ask to treat them with compassion rather than judgment. They went on to say, quote, However, in the grace of God this verdict is not final. We call on the KSB leadership to involve itself in serious examination of these extensive allegations with the view to repentance and reform where appropriate. This will not only bring the forgiveness of God, but a renewal of confidence from the Christian community. In facing and acknowledging some of these problems, and, where necessary, making restitution and confession without tokenism, the KSB leadership will significantly serve the cause of reconciliation within their ranks and within the wider Christian community, including those who have left them. Although it is alleged that there were some who apologized, this was mostly swept under the rug. The aftermath of the 2020 News 24 report was huge. A number of ex-members came forward with their stories. At the same time, numerous people affiliated with the mission came to their defense, and the mission declared, quote, it was a smear campaign. Major retailers, including Woolworths, Pick and Pay, Macro and Game, stopped stocking Aquile bottled water and bell peppers from Encini Farms. The mission sent out a statement stating, quote, Kwasi Sabantu mission, including their projects Aquile and Encini Farming, has been the subject of a severe onslaught of allegations, including rape, sexual assault and money laundering and being a cult. Most of the allegations are vague, lacking in any real particularity. This makes it difficult to respond in a meaningful way. The obvious intention of this machine gun attack strategy is to make it difficult to cover every aspect of the attack. No doubt, the hope is that even if one suspicion remains, then the attackers would have succeeded with those people who act out of expediency rather than principle. The News24 expose and other various media reports were followed by investigations through governing bodies and law enforcement. Furthermore, an independent panel was also set up to look into the allegations. I'm going to start with the governing body. In South Africa, we have the Cultural, Religious and Linguistics Communities Rights Commission, also known as the CRL Rights Commission. I touched on them briefly in episode 2. On crlcommission.org.za, it states the following. The CRL Rights Commission is a constitutional body established in terms of the South African Constitution of 1996. Its constitutional mandate is to strengthen our constitutional democracy. The commission was established in order to protect and promote the cultural, religious and linguistic community rights. Its mandate is achievable through both proactive and reactive approaches. The CRL Rights Commission is set out to build the nation by providing space for each of the cultural, religious and linguistic communities and to promote unity amongst diverse communities.
In the case of religion, they will usually set up a panel and invite people from both sides to state their case in front of the panel. The CRL Rights Commission will then take all of the information placed before them and compile a report with their recommendations on the matter at hand. In September 2020, the CRL called on former members to come forward as they launched an official probe into the allegations of human rights abuse at the mission. The hearings commenced in October 2020. Two were held in Durban in KZN and one was held in Johannesburg in Gauteng. Ex-members tearfully related their gut-wrenching accounts of physical, emotional and sexual abuse. There was also further testimony by members who are still with Kwasi Zabantu and they came to the defense of the mission. There were representatives for the leadership of the church who came before the panel, but as they had felt that the panel was not objective and had already made up their minds, before the mission could give their rebuttal, they basically put a few statements on record and then excused themselves. To this day, the report has not been compiled, so we still do not know what the outcome is of these findings. Towards the end of September 2020, KSB appointed Arnott and Associates attorneys to set up an independent panel to investigate the various allegations against them. The panel was headed up by advocate Kumi Shazi and Mr. Peter Lee Lamotti. They received various reports, statements and affidavits from people on both sides of the argument. During the month of October, various witnesses came forward, both current and ex-members of the mission. Some of the ex-members were very sceptical, especially since the panel was basically being paid for by KSB, but they came forward and told their stories regardless of their misgivings. The panel had assured them that they would be objective and that the report would be published within two weeks. Eventually, on 20 November 2020, the report was completed. The report stated that they were to use five terms of reference, or TORs, which were 1. that the mission was a cult, 2. that the mission had tolerated and overlooked allegations of rape, sexual and physical assault of both women and children, 3. that the mission contravened subsections 12.4-6 of the Children's Act by overlooking and tolerating virginity testing, 4 the mission's involvement in money laundering, 5. That they contravened Section 32 of the Basic Conditions of Employment Act of 1997. The first thing that stood out to me in the list of documentation and other information that they used to compile the report was, under News 24 documentaries, it says, quote, We watched Exodus Part 1 and 2 and listened to Podcast Parts 3 and 4. I did a bit of a double-take here, because I thought I was going mad, so I went back and double-checked. Good news, I'm not going mad. There is only one documentary for Exodus, and the podcast has four parts. So, I'm not 100% sure what parts of what they watched, but that's just an FYI for my listeners. Okay, I digress. So, the first thing that they found was... For reasons set out in the main report, we find that the mission is not a cult. They do, however, add, Having made that finding, however, 
There are some practices we found concerning and need to be addressed. These are dealt with in the main report under our recommendations. For their second TOR, they split the findings in two. First, their findings on sexual abuse, and second on the physical abuse. Under sexual abuse, they found that we found no substance to these allegations. The witnesses who spoke to us regarding this aspect mostly relied on hearsay and could not give primary accounts of any specific incident. We were unable to find credibility in the versions of the alleged victims. We came to a slightly different finding in the case of Stacy Thomas, not her real name, as discussed more fully in the main report. We found no credible evidence that claims of rape were reported to the mission and that the mission was covering them up. Um, okay, so they only state hearsay when, yes, there were some people who told allegations that they had heard from others, but then there were actual real people telling their actual real first-hand accounts of what happened to them. Wow, but I'm not a lawyer. That's just my opinion. Under physical abuse, they found the following. Insofar as the allegations refer to the use of corporal punishment before it was outlawed in 1996, we found these allegations to be credible and were acknowledged by the relevant representatives of the mission. We could not find any evidence of physical abuse that was sanctioned by the mission. The teachers and elders at the mission were decisively vicious. Decisively vicious? Well, uh, okay, I guess at least they admitted to that. Now, I'm just going to insert my opinion here. They state that they stopped corporal punishment before 1996. Okay, so even if this is the case, the allegations of physical abuse go back to the 1980s, and most of the accounts that I've read don't exactly say that what they did back then or 100% say that it didn't happen in that way. So how can you dismiss something like that? Their findings in regard to the virginity testing was as follows. We found no proof of these allegations. All the witnesses confirmed that virginity testing was stopped in 1996, almost a decade before the Children's Act was enacted. The Children's Act of 2005, which they refer to here, states in Section 12, Parts 4-6, to Virginity testing of children under the age of 16 is prohibited. Virginity testing of children older than 16 may only be performed a. if the child has given consent to the testing in the prescribed manner, b. after proper counselling of the child, and c. in the manner prescribed. The results of a virginity test may not be disclosed without the consent of the child. One other thing that jumped out at me in this finding is that KSB stated in a statement to the media, quote, At that time, about 85% of pupils at the school were Zulu, and initially the mission did not feel it right to impose Western culture to abolish this tradition. After consultation with the parents, the practice was discontinued from 2002. So, was it 1996 or was it 2002? As for the money laundering charges, they found the following. We could not find any evidence that the companies affiliated to the mission have been involved in money laundering. 
Our investigation did, however, uncover issues that were of grave concern to us regarding a loan which was advanced by the mission to a person known as Ndlela. These are discussed in more detail in the main report. Due to time constraints and lack of specialist resources, however, we could not reach any conclusive finding on the issue of the loan. What I did find interesting is further in the findings they state the following. We asked for proof of all of the amounts that Miss Dube alleges she had advanced to the mission. We had not been furnished with these at the time of the drafting of the report. We were initially informed that Miss Dube did not have a personal bank account, but it transpired from our follow-up interview that she actually did. We asked for the bank statements of the said account for the period of 2015 to 2018. At the time of the drafting of the report, we had not been furnished with the said bank statements. The conclusion on the final TOR, which was around how the mission had contravened Section 32 of the Basic Conditions of Employment Act, or BCEA, they found, quote, We found that the employees at the mission and its affiliated companies are remunerated timelessly and in monetary form as required by Section 32 of the BCEA. We also found that the employees are paid minimum wages within the prescripts of the law. We did find, however, that looking at the total remuneration packages of the employees, the affiliate companies can and should do much better for the employees than the current position. We found that the companies currently do not offer any additional benefits for the employees, namely pension fund contributions, medical aid contributions and bonuses like 13th checks or performance-based bonuses, etc. Section 32 of the Basic Conditions of Employment Act states, An employer must pay to an employee any remuneration that is paid in money, in South African currency, daily, weekly, fortnightly or monthly, and in cash, by check or by direct deposit into an account designated by the employee. Any remuneration paid in cash or by check must be given to each employee at the workplace or at a place agreed to by the employee, during the employee's working hours or within 15 minutes of the commencement or conclusion of those hours, in a sealed envelope which becomes the property of the employee. An employer must pay remuneration no later than seven days after the completion of the period for which the remuneration is payable or the termination of the contract of employment. So, in conclusion, from what I can gather, they are not a cult, but they do have worrying practices. They could not find any first-hand accounts of sexual abuse from those who gave first-hand accounts of sexual abuse. There was no proof of physical abuse, but they did find it decidedly vicious. They could not find any evidence of money laundering, but there were weird transactions and they did not have all of the requested bank records at the time of the release of the report. And people were being paid fairly under the prescripts of the law, but they could do better. Let me know if you saw something differently to what I did. On the 20th of November 2020 at 3pm, 
they held a press conference on the KSB website and YouTube channels with their findings. Subsequent to this, most of the retailers started stocking their products again. The Midmar Mile, which is a huge swimming event here in South Africa, usually in February each year, originally pulled them as a headline sponsor. But when I checked their website, Aquelia is still their headline sponsor. As a matter of fact, there's a huge Viv Energy Drink billboard very close to where I live. On 22 September 2020, Police Minister Becky Knele announced in a television statement that they are looking into the allegations. In part, he said, Many things have been said. I have seen the statement by Kwasi Sabantu themselves, praying that people are not saying wrong things about them. But yes, there are people who have relationships with Kwasi Sabantu that have raised matters with the mission of Kwasi Sabantu. I have found no further reports on how the investigation is going, or if it even is still going. The Department of Social Development in KZN also came forward and stated, quote, Our process is to send social workers and then provide them with psychosocial support so they will be able to cope with everyday life. Normally, with any form of abuse or rape, it takes people a long time to cope with the situation. He did not want to speculate on incidents, but said churches had to be safe havens for people. They further stated, It seems there could be a lot of abuse from that church. We are not expecting churches to abuse people. They are the people that are expected to give comfort. They must be trustworthy. It is unfortunate that a church finds itself in this situation. I couldn't find any further information on this investigation either. In South Africa, we have a special policing division officially called the Directorate of Priority Crime Investigation. To us here in SA, they are more commonly known as the Hawks. On saps.gov.za, it states about the Hawks in part. The Directorate for Priority Crime Investigation is now responsible for the combating, investigating and prevention of national priority crimes such as serious organized crime, serious commercial crime, and serious corruption in terms of Section 17B and 17D of the South African Police Service Act, 1995, as amended. The Hawks told News24 that they were investigating the allegations into money laundering. I have not found any further outcomes of this investigation either, but in all honesty, and I did check this with my colleagues. Most investigations done by the Hawks may take years. Now, I am not bashing them in any way. I think it just takes that long because there's so much information that they need to work through. Then, in March 2021, another independent study was conducted. The paper was called a two-tier Protestant Evaluate Framework for Cults Applied to Kwasi Sabantu Mission, which they abbreviated to 2TPEF. This paper was written by Alfreda Fleischmann, who is affiliated with the Department of Missiology, Faculty of Theology at Northwest University, and Department of Social Studies, Faculty of Education, CEDA International Academy. Yep. 
the very same Cedar International Academy, which was started at and still is at the KSB mission. Alfreda also still lives and works at KSB. The next author is Ignatius W. Ferreira, who is also affiliated with the Department of Missiology Faculty of Theology, Northwest University. The final author was Francois Miller, who is affiliated with the Department of Ecumenial Perspectives, Faculty of Theology, Northwest University. I looked up the study of ecumenical perspectives and on theology.nwu.ac.za they state the following. The study of the relationships that, if formed in order to heal the lack of unity amongst different Christian traditions, formations, groups and denominations. The paper focused on the allegations that were laid out by the previously mentioned independent panel, but focusing more on the theological aspect of the mission. In their conclusion, they state, quote, The vague use of the term cult in popular media has the potential to cause ambiguity, thus damaging the trust in Christ. The objective of the study was to provide a viable 2TPEF to identify cultic characteristics in a religious group. The proposed framework was applied to South Africa's Kwasi-Sabantu mission as a case study. Applying the 2TPEF in the case study demonstrates how it operates as a workable tool. In this case, it explained why the Kwasi-Sabantu mission cannot be viewed as a cult. In addition, the 2TPEF may serve for a comparative purpose or used by religious groups themselves to demonstrate their position relative to Protestant Christianity. Now, I will leave you to come to your own conclusion on this, but I just want to highlight that in this report, they only used the information from the KSB website and did not interview or even contact any of the ex-members to corroborate any of their versions. Also, as I have mentioned before, one of the members of the panel is affiliated with and an active member of the mission. It was not only this report that served as a defense toward the mission. Many members came to the defense of the mission. In an article called Readers Come to Kwasi Zabantu's Defense for the Witness, dated 15 October 2020, it states, the witness has received a flood of letters to the editor from people who are detailing the defense of Kwasi Sabantu mission and positive experiences they've had there. The article posts many letters of the people who said that they were helped and not harmed by the mission. They also lash out at the media. One of these reads in part, quote, It is with alternating moments of hilarity and horror that I have read the absurd lies and malicious slander publicized about Kwasi Sabantu on News24 in the past few weeks. There has even been a pro-KSB advocate on our Facebook group. But just give me a second or two here. Let's strip away all of the sensationalism going on. Let's just look at some of the practices that I touched on. If we really look at them and look what people are taught at the mission, just the spiritual abuse and constant overarching teaching of fear is enough to make one worry, not to mention the fact that families are broken up. The independent panel even agreed that some of the practices were worrying. 
The last thing I found on the KSB YouTube channel when I was searching for people speaking on behalf of KSB floored me. The name of the video is Nozipo, Free from Homosexuality, and it is dated 25 March 2020. Now, homosexuality is not something that you can be cured from, nor should it be. I have very close family and friends who are part of the LGBTQIA community, and I must admit that this statement deeply, deeply troubled me. A person is not captured by homosexuality. It is part of you. It is who you are. You cannot be freed from it. As a matter of fact, suppressing your true self is even worse. Being yourself is what frees you. As I was going through the harrowing testimony of all of the survivors, one common theme stood out over all. In my opinion, it seems like, for the most part, the survivors are not out to take down the mission. They just want acknowledgement. They want those members of the mission who wronged them and those who covered it up to own up to it. This brings me back to confession, because if coming clean before God is the only way to get into heaven, and this is their firm belief, then how do they reconcile not coming clean and still think that they will be free from sin? The sad thing is, I think they won't ever acknowledge this, and the survivors will never find peace. In our next episode, I will have the great honor of speaking to one of the survivors. Once again, I must say a huge thank you to Mike, JJ and Kursgrief. They have been so amazing. Their trust in me has been awesome and they gave me the opportunity to tell the story factually. I cannot express in words how much I respect and appreciate you guys. Furthermore, I need to add the disclaimer here that Kwasi Sabantu denies all the allegations that was put forward to them and in part of a statement that they sent to News24, it says, quote, Even though some of the alleged incidents appear to go back 20 to 30 years, we nevertheless respect their privacy and ultimately they must themselves decide whether they wish to engage with you and respond to your report. As much as you are implying that the mission is responsible for every incident involving its congregation, we can assure you that we strive to always act within the prescripts of the law. End quote. This week, I want to introduce you to another podcast. We all know that cults and true crime fans hugely overlap. Well, this week, I want to introduce you to True Crime South Africa. This podcast is brilliant. It's victim-focused and tells the stories of crimes that happen right here in our backyard. But let me let Nicole tell you in her own words. South Africa, a country whose spectacular beauty and dynamic people are known the world over. But there's another side to our country and one that is rarely discussed in the detail it deserves. Join me, Nicole Engelbrecht, on True Crime South Africa, South Africa's first victim-focused true crime podcast, as we go beyond the headlines 
focus on the victims and explore some of South Africa's most heinous violent crimes. True Crime South Africa is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. If you've enjoyed this episode, please hit the subscribe button and rate and review us. It will go a long way into improving the podcast and helping others find it. You can find us on Facebook and you can email us at decodingcults at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. If there are any topics around the workings of cults which you would like further explanation on, or if there is a cult that you would like to hear about, email me or post it in the Facebook group. Remember to go and check out By Design Crafts SA and Endeavor AV and tell them that I sent you. This week, I want to say to Shekular to my listeners in Turkey. The amazing logo art was created by the tattoo artist Jock Jacobs. Thank you so much for listening. <laughs>